I'm used to this. Quite often when I'm visiting a church about this time, a number of people get up and leave. And then as the service goes forward, a lot of the adults get up and leave too. Now, I'd, I'd like to read um, a portion of God's Word now. And uh, the most famous sermon that was ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. And in the context of that sermon, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. And we're going to just look at a, a small portion of the Lord's Prayer this morning. But to, uh, to set a context for the message, let me read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Jesus is speaking and he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. Back about 50 years ago, I uh, went to college, and as I started to college, I couldn't decide on a major. And so I went from uh, one major to another, one department to another. I tried business, education, mathematics, psychology, and then I graduated and didn't know what to do. Well, God has another plan. He had another plan for me. Uh, most students, you'll find, that go to college, maybe five years later, they're in a completely different field, and that's what happened to me. When you become a Christian, you have an advantage because God works in your heart. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and he equips you, and he gives you spiritual gifts. And these gifts are part of your calling, and they help you find your niche in the church and, and in the world. So this morning, think about your life. What is your calling? Why do you exist? Why do you get to breathe God's air? What's the purpose of life itself? What's your function or your duty or your responsibility? What's your mission? What gets you up in the morning? This is important. You'll find many people just sort of waste their lives. Lives are, are just sort of a, a happening. People go through life with no priorities and no purpose. And especially now that the pandemic has come and has dwelt among us for a good long time, uh, people are disillusioned. They're depressed. They wonder what to do next. They're anxious about their lives. Many people are like this. When you uh, come up to an intersection, do you turn right or left? Depends on where you're going, doesn't it? But a lot of people don't know what they're, where they're going or what's really important. And so today... I want you to discover perhaps a new reason to live. I want you to leave here with a new determination, a new passion, a new sense of purpose, with perhaps a new driving force that many Christians never discover, even in reading the Bible and going to church. Today, I hope you will see that God has a plan for you and for the world that you're included in something big and important. I want you to become excited about it. Today I want you to begin to look at the world with a new set of glasses, with a totally different perspective.
I want you to understand the big picture of what God is doing on the planet and then jump into the place that God has for you. Why did God put you on the planet? That's the question that we want to answer. You might uh, want to look again at our text, uh, particularly in verses 9 and 10 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, you've probably prayed that a thousand times. I remember uh, after speaking on this one time, uh, one of my students came up and said, you know, I've prayed that many times. I had no idea that's what that meant. And maybe that'll be your experience this morning. Now, keep in mind that this is the Lord's Prayer. It's not like a prayer that you might pray where some random thoughts come into your mind and and you sort of maybe were assigned to maybe uh, pray for a group of people and then it just comes out and you blurt it out. Jesus never had any experience like that. He's God. He always knows what he's going to say. He's always known what he's going to say. And so when he tells us to teach people the Lord's Prayer... It's not just, okay, you know, here's another prayer, do this. It's something that we all need uh, from day to day. Uh, He's teaching us what's really important. And what we see as the prayer begins, that it's important to honor God, that his name is hallowed, that his name is holy, and that he's uh, the God of all heaven and earth as well. Uh, To be holy is to be set apart and, and so we see here God is concerned about his reputation. He's the creator, and, and we're the creation. We're creatures. And there's no higher being in the universe than God. And so when we worship and uh, when we sing and when we read the, the scriptures and when we pray, we need to be careful about what we're saying. Jesus, we see here, next comes to the theme of what he almost always preached about. Have you ever noticed that? That that Jesus had one theme, and he went back to it over and over and over again. He brings it up some 80 times in the New Testament. He begins to say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He begins to talk about the kingdom. He's consumed with thoughts about the kingdom. So you see this first phrase is, Lord, this is the... This is what I'm praying about today. The first phrase talks about God's purpose for the world. Your kingdom come. The second phrase talks about God's purpose for your life and for the world. God wants you to discover his will and for his world and for your life. And he wants you to be directed by this. So it's always important to keep in your mind. What is God doing in the world? And how do I fit into that? So let's first look at what does it mean to say, thy kingdom come. This is a prayer for the coming in the fullness of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, this is a prayer for the victory of the kingdom of God on earth. What is God's purpose for the world? God is the sovereign king of the universe and he is preparing a kingdom, an eternal empire An eternal righteous kingdom on earth made up of people from every nation and tongue and tribe. Have you ever played a game called Risk? Anybody here ever played Risk? 
We used to play that, but it caused too many fights, so we don't play it anymore. What is the goal of risk? Total world domination. It's not like a little game of Monopoly or something like that where you just want to get boardwalk. It's you want everything. You want the whole thing. That's what Jesus is doing. It's no game. Jesus has come at Christmas time to claim his inheritance, the nations of the world, and the people groups of the world. Abraham Kuyper, the former prime minister of the Netherlands, puts it like this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. This world belongs to Lord Jesus. He is the creator and sustainer of life. You have heard the expression, well, what's the world coming to? Well, God is establishing here a kingdom. God is establishing an eternal kingdom, an empire of righteousness, love, and truth. In Psalm 22, David the king writes, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. We often forget, but even now, there are two competing kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of light, there's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of good and the kingdom of evil. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. Christ here is teaching us to pray for the victory of his kingdom. Thy kingdom come means may the kingdom of God prevail and his kingdom be established in all its fullness, in all of its glory. May the work of God on earth prosper. May people come into your kingdom. May people be delivered from the domain of evil. This is a prayer for me. It's a prayer for missionaries. It's a prayer for a missionary activity around the world. This is a prayer for the nations or people groups of the world to come into the kingdom of God. This is a prayer that Jesus will reign throughout the entire world. This is the big picture of which you are a part. That's what's going on. That's the big thing. It's not what you read in the news. It's not what you listen to in Fox News or whatever you will listen to. It's something else. In Habakkuk chapter 2, we read, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a prayer that people from every nation tongue, tribe, people group will come to the king and that the gospel will have great success. God is not simply uh, a God for America, although God has greatly blessed our country. God promised Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that includes all the nations of Africa, dozens of nations, hundreds and hundreds of people groups that are there. For example, did you know, excuse me, there are some 17,432 people groups on planet Earth. There are almost now 8 billion people. Many of them are moving to America. Uh, there are 7,402 people groups that are considered unreached. 
That is, there's no church near them where they could come and be discipled and taught and grow and mature in Christ. This should make us sad. This should make us aware that we have not gone out and been faithful necessarily after 2,000 years of fulfilling the Great Commission. When you become a Christian, you enter the kingdom. God's mission becomes your mission. You pledge allegiance to the king of the universe. Thus, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying that God's rule will be acknowledged more and more by people throughout the world. You're praying for the growth of the church. You're praying that people will obey the Great Commission. <coughs> that, that people will go to the nations, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all that He's commanded. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Go and make disciples of the nations. Christ will not be satisfied until the entire universe is under His absolute and complete authority. We should be willing to, to add with this prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, and may it start in me. Have you done that? Have you thought about, okay, where is my role in world evangelization? What can I do? Should I be a goer? Should I be a sender? Should I be a prayer? How can I be involved in my community? Have you started with your home and, and discipled your children? And thought about opportunities here in Sunday school and other places where you can go. So when I, I think about what God has given us, our focus should not be upon a denomination or building our own, um, our own kingdom. Our focus should be the establishment of the kingdom of God. When you realize this, there's a change in your life. There's sort of a shake-up, if you will. There's a change in your focus. And all of a sudden, you become a global Christian. You begin to get interested in geography. You begin to interest, be interested in what's going on in the world and, and where are their great needs. I work for an organization called Trinity Center for World Mission. We are attempting to plant a network of seminaries across Central Africa. You know, the Bible doesn't just say, go and make converts, does it? It says, go and make disciples baptize them, and then teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so we're a teaching ministry. We, uh, we have people that speak, oh, 15 or different, 20 different languages our students uh, speak. Uh, in Africa where we work, 85% of pastors have no training. Right now our ministry is in Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Cameroon, and Nigeria. In the coming year, we hope to begin classes in South Sudan. We had those a few years ago. The war came. So we have 200 students up there waiting for us to return. We also want to go into a very large country, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Our motto is this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. As we look at the world... Our perspective is this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Or as my mother used to tell me, you only have one life. Only what's done for Christ and his kingdom are going to last. And so when we look at what's going on and what 
Our priority ought to be, Jesus is giving us here our priority. We should be thinking like this. What does the kingdom need? What work can I do for the kingdom of God this week? How can I best serve the king? What can I do to expand the borders of the kingdom today? How can I bring the blessings of the kingdom of God to this world? Am I discipling my children? How can I give more in support of the kingdom? Lord, you have given me skills and resources and experiences and gifts. How do you want me to use them? Why are you living in Georgia? You are here by the decree and purpose of God to build his kingdom. Yes, you're working to make a living, but whatever you do, your heart must be focused on the kingdom. Jesus taught us in this very same chapter, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Many people just miss that completely. They're consumed with things that are insignificant. They spend a lot of time entertaining themselves. They don't get it. Do you get it? The central thing that God is doing on this planet is building a kingdom, an empire. He is drawing people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And he's placed us again in the middle of it. So why are you in Georgia? Are you simply here uh, to work for a company, to earn some money, and to watch the University of Georgia club or every other football team? That's important. You know, the World Series was important this year, right? But that's not the most important. That's not the real World Series. The real World Series is what God is doing. Your life is more important than a lot of the things that you're doing now. Every church in America should be the king's chapel, establishing the kingdom for the king. We are sent here to serve on the front lines. The Apostle Peter wrote, this is all about the church and what you're all about. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I think of this church. What potential. You are ambassadors For the King of kings and Lord of lords, you're a royal priesthood. You have access to God. All of you can pray. You can come into the presence of the Creator. Pour out your heart. You have a mission, and that is to advance the work of the King and the kingdom. It's not an easy mission. My brother was also one of the first missionaries for the Presbyterian Church in America. And he worked in Nigeria for about 15 years and then later went to Europe. And as he worked in Nigeria, particularly, he lived in a thatched hut for those 15 years. And he had malaria, I think, 26 times. And I asked him one day, Sid, what are you doing there? Why why do you keep doing this? And he said, just very frankly to me, as one brother would say to another, he said, I would never do this for anybody but Jesus. What would you do for Jesus? Because Jesus commanded us to go, we must go. We must go and make disciples. We go to proclaim the glory of the king. We proclaim the gospel of the king. We call people to surrender to the king. 
In the 14 countries that are now open that we've identified, 650 million people live. We want to equip thousands of pastors and give them a quality Christian accredited education. We want to send out soldiers, pastors and church planters, young and old, for the king and for the kingdom. That's one of the reasons that I'm here today. I want you to know about this work and we need your prayers and we need your help. In order to train students, you need a place where you can meet. We've tried it under a tree. We've tried it in tents. But there's nothing like having a decent library and a building and a place where people can come for months at a time. Most people in the world are attempting to build their own kingdom. They live like they would never die. Now, be honest, how many of you watch YouTube videos? And, okay, to be even more honest, how many of you have ever watched a YouTube video about storage lockers? storage lockers come on I know you've done that okay what, what what is this all about someone dies and many of the valuables of their kingdom are left in a storage locker and they have accumulated over a period of time so much stuff that they don't have space at home and so they've been renting this thing sometimes for dozens of years what are these lockers they are commentaries on our culture and commentaries on what people think are really important. They're also places where people keep their idols quite often, the things that really occupy their time rather than the kingdom of God. Think about Jesus where you come before him on the final day and you stand before him and there he is like he's pictured in, in Isaiah chapter 6 and all of his glory and all of his regalia. And what do you have as a result of your life on earth, you have your collection of National Geographic magazines. You have a collection of trains. You have a coin collection. You have a few thousand knickknacks. And that is what you have to present to Jesus on the final day. In this same chapter, this is what Jesus says. Not me. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The fact is, life is short. Only what we do for the king and the kingdom really make that much difference. But there's more to this phrase than you might think. This uh, phrase, thy kingdom come, is more than a prayer for missions. This is also a prayer for the return of Jesus. That Christ will come and establish the, king, the kingdom in all of its fullness and glory. Often we look around today... And I think many people are pessimistic about what's happening in America and in the world. And we see corruption and we see it in very high places in our government. And what is this? This is a prayer that we are to pray for a new day. And for our country and for the world. We're praying for a new dynasty for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we open this service, we read a famous passage that you read every single Advent season. Isaiah chapter 9. And what did it say? 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Have you noticed? Christ has not fully established his reign on earth. There is evil in the world. In Africa, we face evils, cults, corruption, tribalism, witchcraft, Islam, property stealing, the subjugation of women, all kinds of terrible things. But one day, Jesus Christ is going to come back. Jesus is going to make all things new. Christ's kingdom will come with all of its glory. And all that was lost because of our sin will be regained. On that day, we will be made new in soul and body and delivered not only from sin's penalty and presence, but its total influence on our lives. Then Jesus will bring an end to all suffering and pain and restore all things to God's original design. He will establish his kingdom and he will rule forever and ever. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 where he says, And God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. And he put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's what it is. There's going to be one Lord and one Christ and there's going to be a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This chapter goes on to say that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, those are amazing statements. What is history? What is it all about? Is it just a meaningless cycle of events? One event after another, after another, with no plan? Not at all. Is history, as the Bible describes it, events that are purposefully being directed by living personal God towards one final great event that's what it is and that's what we're praying about when we say thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's good to know that when you read the newspaper headlines that neither the democrats nor the republicans are ultimately in control of the world the russians and the chinese are not ultimately in control of history the pandemic will come and it will go christ the king is eternally going to be in control of all of history. Revelation chapter 11 pictures a day when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are longing for the government of Christ. 
We're longing for his kingdom to put an end to death and taxes and sin and injustice and all the rest. We are saying, we want your kingdom. We want your rule. We want your authority. What about in your life? Who is king? Who have you surrendered to? Who is the Lord of your life? What we have in America is a whole bunch of people who love Jesus as their Savior and they think he's terrific. But what about his lordship? What about surrendering to Jesus, the king? When you look at the Bible, maybe you haven't noticed, but this emphasis on the kingdom is just everywhere. Uh, When John the Baptist came preaching, he preached this. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark chapter 1, we read, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He mentioned the kingdom 80 times in the New Testament. Then we come after the Gospels where Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's instructing the disciples and he, before he ascends into heaven, he teaches them for 40 days. And what did he teach them for 40 days? 40 days? I mean, that's almost a seminary education right there, especially from Jesus. Do you know what he taught them about? We're told in Acts 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's what he spoke about. You look at most of the parables, what are they about? They're about the kingdom. That was his favorite subject. The same is true for the Apostle Paul. You read through the book of Acts, and you're always wondering, what's going to happen to the Apostle Paul? He eventually gets to Rome, and uh, he's there for two years, and uh, people want to know what he's teaching, and so they they come to him, even though he's a prisoner. And we read in the, the last chapter of Acts this, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God, and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Then you go down to the last two verses of Acts. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. Are you beginning to catch on? There's something big going on in the world. And Jesus spoke about it. It was his main theme. It was the main theme of the apostles, the main theme of the disciples. And it should be our main theme. In our day, countries come and go. The America of our grandparents has disappeared. But Christ's great kingdom keeps growing and growing and growing. Are you part of the program? Are you part of his kingdom? Are you on your own doing your own thing? Today, again, will you surrender to Jesus? Will you get with his program? Will you get with real history and not fake news? 
what is important. Could some of you say today, Lord, here I am, send me, I will go. I want to be part of this. Can some of you say, I'll even work in the nursery. I'll be a greeter. I'll clean up this place on Sunday afternoon. I'll help set up on Sunday morning. I'll serve in Christ's kingdom. I'll look at the ministries of this church and I'll, I'll think about my life and my gifts and the experiences that God has sovereignly given me and I'll get involved. But there's more here. We're praying for the expansion of Christ's kingdom in this world. We're praying for the second coming of Christ. And we're praying that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that includes you. That means that we need to all say, Lord, I want your will in my life. God has designed us so that we can make an impact in the world. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We need to pray like this. Lord, I have a will and it's very strong and I often want my own way. Lord, my will comes from a mind filled with a lot of mixed motives. Lord, what I want may hurt me. But sometimes I go ahead and do it anyway. Lord, empower me to do your will. Lord, give me the fullness of your spirit. Lord, you can cross my will anytime you want to. You can tell me to do things that I don't want to do, and I will do it because you are God. Lord, I want to advance your kingdom. Jesus has paved the way. In John chapter 6, verse 38, it says... For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. On the cross, Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. What is God's will for you? That you be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So what is God's will for you? The wise men came looking for the king of the Jews. They came to declare. Jesus came to declare his kingship. He was sent by a missionary father. Jesus is the missionary son. And now the son sends you out to go. Jesus' mission was a mission of danger and sacrifice. Jesus took the form of a servant. What is Christmas about? It's not about accumulation, is it? Or buying more stuff or filling up your own storage locker. It's about Christ who humbled himself. It's about Christ who came here because he loved you. It's about pain and about suffering. A good response would be, Lord, give me something in your kingdom so that I might sacrifice and so that I might serve. Mark chapter 10 Verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember in the book of Romans, chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present or you offer your body a living sacrifice. That's kingdom living what does Christ want from you today? We're about ready to close. What would satisfy Jesus? I'm going to share just one illustration 
then we're going to finish up. A man was out shopping, and he saw a pearl in the window of a jewelry shop. It was a beautiful pearl. He just had to have it. He entered the store and asked the storekeeper, I want this pearl. How much is it? Well, the seller says it's very expensive. But how much, he asks. Well, a very large amount. Do you think I could buy it, he says. Oh, of course, everyone can buy it. But didn't you say it was very expensive? Yes. Well, how much is it? Everything you have, says the seller. We make up our minds. All right, I'll buy it, we say. Well, what do you have? He wants to know. Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, $10,000. What else do you have? That's not all, is it? I know, well, that's all I have. He says, well, I have a few dollars here in my pocket. And he starts digging. Well, 30, 40, 60, 80, 100, $120. That's fine. What else do you have? Well, nothing. That's all. Where do you live? The store owner sort of probing here. In my house. Yes, I have a house. The house too then. He writes that down. You mean I have to live in my camper? Oh, you have a camper. That too. That's mine as well. What else do you have? I'll have to sleep in my car. You have a car? That too. I'll, you have two of them. Oh, okay. I'll take them both. Both are mine. What else? Well, you already have my money, my house, my camper, my cars. What more do you want? Are you alone in the world? Well, no, I have a wife and I have two children. Oh, yes, your wife and your children, too. You must give them as well. I have nothing left. I'm left alone now. Suddenly, the seller exclaims, Oh, I almost forgot. You yourself, too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you, too. And then he goes on. Now, listen. I will allow you to use all these things for the time being. But don't forget that they are mine, just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up. Because now I am the owner. Did you know that God is your owner? That he formed your life. He wants it all. He wants your life, your time, your money, your wife, your children, your family, your RV, whatever it is, they're all given for the work of the kingdom. You grew up, some of you, singing a, a song. Remember the song, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for the king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Let's pray. Right now in the quiet of your heart, perhaps pray like this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I've been trying to find significance apart from you. 
As a result, I've settled for doing my will. Today, I turn from doing my will to serving yours. Today, I acknowledge you as my king. I repent of my sins and I come into your kingdom and commit to you as the Lord of my life. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make me into the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.